All right, everyone. It's uh, it's Dave Barnett here again for another episode of Holiday Chat 2019. Today, I have Shane on the line, who is an American living in Central America. Shane, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Um, how long has it been since you moved down there? I've been here for about three years. Yeah. What, uh, what precipitated the move? So I'm a Christian, and uh, we're a missionary family. I got a wonderful family, and uh, yeah, we've been here for three years because uh, the Lord wants us here, and um, yeah, I really like it, really I'm adjusting to life here, and yeah, grateful. And um, something a little unusual is that we are self-supporting, so meaning like I don't do any sort of fundraising or raise support or anything like that, so I prefer to have my own source of income. Oh, Okay. And, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of wonderful things about, about down there from people who visited as tourists, but my cousin, um, he went to, I think he lived in Costa Rica. He actually paid a family to live with them uh, during a period of unemployment because he decided it was time to learn Spanish. So he <laughs> went down there, he lived with them, and just by being immersed with the family and the culture and children playing soccer on the street and everything, he, he picked it up and, and, and became quite fluent in less than a year. Good for him. I, I'm kind of jealous hearing that story. Mine, uh, <laughs> my Spanish hasn't come along quite as well. But yeah, it, it is kind of fun to, uh, yeah, to immerse yourself and learn that way, kind of force yourself to learn. I'm, I'm not fluent by any means, but yeah, it is kind of fun to track your progress over, over time. Cool. So how can I help you today? So just a little bit of background. Um, yeah, I have an Amazon business uh, that's been going strong for about two and a half years or so. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a capital intensive kind of business, uh, at least from my perspective. And especially so when it comes to like trying to launch new products, it, it, it just costs a lot of money and it comes at a risk because you don't know if a product is going to take off or flop, you know? Okay. And um, so I'm interested in this idea of purchasing an established business with like a proven track record you know, some steady income that could complement uh, the business that I currently own. Okay. Um, so this is what I'm looking for. I want to buy an online business uh, and I don't have any particular one in mind, um, but I don't want to do like a normal debt structure deal. At least that's mm -hmm. what I'm terming it. So no loans or anything like that. Um, and I'm assuming, uh, David, that you have heard of Dave Ramsey. Am I right? Oh, yes. Yeah. And I haven't, I haven't read any of his books, but I've, I've, you know, people, I've heard people explain the debt snowball and a lot, some of his big concepts that he talks about a lot. Exactly. Yeah. He's a big proponent of not going into debt. And, you know, I, sub I subscribe to that similar philosophy. So I don't have any debt in my life at all. No car payments, no mortgage or anything like that. And so I'm kind of hoping that, you know, you can sort of pretend to be Dave Ramsey, if you will, <laughs> and kind of, you know, I'm coming to you basically coming for advice saying like, Hey, I, I think I'm going to be interested in buying a business, presumably presumably in the 100000 to $300,000 range, but I don't have that kind of money in the bank. You know, how can I make this work? And uh, okay. just one quick thing to add to that. So, you know, I have a friend who's in a, a rent-to-own arrangement with his landlord mm -hmm. for buying a home. And I kind of want to spell out his situation real quick because that's the only sort of reference I have in my mind as to what like a real example of a, a debt-free structure deal would look like. Okay. And so I want to see how it might be similar or different in regards to buying a business. So, um, so I have this friend, let's call him Jeff because that's his name. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he pays a higher than normal rent above market rate um, for this rent-to-own situation, you know, to chip away at the agreed purchase price. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I'm sure he probably pays like some sort of interest on, on those terms as well. And, you know, he probably has like 10 years, you know, to, to try and pay off this rent to own home, you know? And I, you know, as I understand it, you know, God forbid something would happen to him, but like if he couldn't make his payments for whatever reason, he would just walk away and he would be out whatever money he's put into it, but he wouldn't have this giant loan hanging over his head, you know? And so um, I'm wondering if there's like a similar kind of situation, like I said, in, in the business world, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so um, I actually sold a house on a, on a rent to own basis. Interesting. So, so I'll, I'll tell you what I did. Um, I had the, the tenant and, and, you know, at the, this was many years ago at the time, the fair rent for a house like that, it was my first home. It was quite small. 
the, the fair rent in this town was about a thousand dollars a month. And mm-hmm. so what we did is we actually had a, a lease with them saying they would pay 1300 And then I had a separate contract which said they had an option to purchase the house at a specific price. And on closing day, if, if all of their rent had been paid on time, I would refund them at the closing table $300 for every month they had paid rent. Okay. And so it wasn't a debt-free structure by any means. Mm-hmm. What, what the rent-to-own arrangement allowed them to do was to accumulate a down payment um, in, me, in my pocket. Yeah. And then when, close, when the closing day came, when they actually bought the house, it was a little bit less than two years, um, you know, I refunded them back that money and it gave them enough of a down payment and because it was structured in a very, um, you know, we, we, we followed the rules that a banker had told me. He said, if this is all documented and this is the way it is and we can see all this paperwork and we can see that it was actually signed two years ago, not last week, trying to, you know, create some story, um, mm-hmm. then, then this is what we, we, we would actually look at that as a legitimate down payment instead of seeing money in a bank account or something like that. And so it worked out very well for them. But then, of course, they incurred a mortgage when they got the house, right? And so there's different language we can use when we talk about buying something over time. So Mm -hmm. rent rent to own is one kind of idea. The other kind of idea is one that technically is debt, is where you buy the business, but you haven't paid in full, and you owe the seller money, okay? So that's seller financing. And almost every deal to buy a business involves that kind of debt. And I would argue that seller financing is a very different flavor of debt than if you borrowed money from a bank and you owed it back to the bank. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then other arrangements fall into a different kind of camp. One term is called an installment sale contract. Okay. And so this is something that you see sometimes with undeveloped land. Because in many places, banks won't lend against undeveloped land. They don't consider it an asset because it doesn't generate income. It just has a tax bill. So I, where I live, for example, people will sell forest land on an installment contract. X amount okay. per month for five years, and then the title gets signed over to you. Okay? Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, though, is that in a lot of jurisdictions, and this varies by state and by country, obviously, The way the contract is written in an installment sale contract, if you made half the payments and Mm -hmm. something happened, some courts in different places in the world would assume that you owned half the property. Uh, Yeah. Because you had made half the payments that were agreed to, to transfer Mm -hmm. the title. And then there's another interesting category that doesn't happen very much. It's when people rent a business or lease a business as a going concern. So, this can happen, for example, in fact, I had a caller on Clarity who called me oh, a couple months ago about this. Um, it was a woman whose father had passed away suddenly, and he was running a little convenience store deli kind of business in a big city. Mm-hmm. And he worked there all the time with a few part-timers. The family really wasn't in a position to run the business. Mm-hmm. knew that if it closed for any length of time, its value would be diminished they had found someone who wanted to own it, but they didn't have any money. And what I suggested to her was lease them the business. So not just leasing the, the space in the building, but all of the equipment. So the person paid a higher lease rate to basically mm-hmm. get everything they needed to make the business function. I see. So those are kind of the different structures that exist. Now, are you opposed to the idea of, of buying from a, a seller and just paying them over time? It is technically debt, but does that still cause you to cringe a little bit? Well, like I said, um, you know, from my friend's example, like if he, um, it's, it sounds pretty similar. It almost sounds like a mortgage, right? He pays mm-hmm. and, you know, he, he pays into it and he has to even pay interest. And then, but the, I guess the difference is, is if he, you know, were to have a stroke or something and he couldn't make a, a rent payment, mm-hmm. you know, then he would just walk away and then he could, you know, have to live with his in-laws or something, but he doesn't have this, you know, $200,000 balloon weighing him down where he's unable to pay for it, you know? And I think that's kind of what I'm trying to uh, accomplish as well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and so so I, I see that it's pretty similar you know like um if i were to just take out an sba loan you know then i would have this business and then if i couldn't you know pay the loan back for some for some reason that i would still have you know like if i couldn't make the the payments for whatever reason i would still have the burden of trying to pay it off you know mm-hmm. um so. and, and this is what can be very different with seller financing okay because because the sba loan for example they're going to want mm-hmm. you to guarantee the loan and then if you have other assets like a house or something they're going to want to use that as collateral as well mm-hmm. In a lot, of, a lot of the deals where you make a down payment and the seller carries back the balance, mm-hmm. you have to find the right seller and it has to be the right circumstances and all that kind of thing. The, the business itself is the collateral for the loan. Yeah. And so if the business, were to, if the business is worth half a million dollars and you put 100000 down, let's say, and then he finances the other four hundred, mm-hmm. well, you own something worth five hundred and you owe four hundred on it, so you're ahead. Mm-hmm. If the business should fail and the business is the collateral for the loan, then you would not have to pay back the rest of the money. I, I guess I'm not following. Could, would you mind explaining that a little bit more? Sure. <laughs> because, because what you would do is this. You would set up some kind of legal entity like a corporation or an LLC, depending on where you are in the world. Mm-hmm. And that corporation would buy the business and that corporation would owe the money to the seller. Okay. And if you don't personally guarantee the note, it means that the only person guaranteeing the note is the legal entity that is operating the business. So if something happened and the business failed, you're mm-hmm. not on the hook. The, the seller could foreclose on the business and re, reestablish ownership over the, over the assets of the business. Okay. It wouldn't drag you in. And so th- this is, um, you know, it's a big thing mm-hmm. that a lot of business buyers get trapped into because they don't really know what they're doing. They, mm-hmm. they, they borrow the money. And, and so, so here's the business seller. He says, my business is worth half a million. I want to sell it to you. And then maybe the buyer goes to the bank. And if they go to the bank, then obviously they owe the money to the bank. There's no, mm-hmm. no question about that, right? They borrowed it. They owe it back. Mm-hmm. But if the, if the bank says no, and it's an ideal buyer, then what will sometimes happen is the, the buyer will come back and say, look, I can't borrow the money. And the seller goes, well, if you can't get the money, you can't have the business. Mm-hmm. And then the buyer, if they're being coached by me, will say something like this. They'll say, well, Mr. Seller, um, I have experience in this industry. I have a good credit score. I have equity in my home and savings in the bank. And I've got a 401k program. And there really is no one better than me to buy this business. If the bank won't lend me the money, who are you waiting for? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Because some businesses based on the type of business or the, the, the lack of physical assets, some businesses are very hard to finance at the bank. Mm-hmm. And so that's a great question for the seller. Who are you waiting for? And, and you know, when sellers are being coached by me, I show them that it's hard to finance businesses sometimes and they are going to have to do some amount of seller financing. So mm-hmm. let's say let's say the seller then agrees. I'll take your down payment and I'll carry the balance. And then he says, but I want you to guarantee the note. And that's when we say, wait a minute. You're telling me the business is worth half a million. You want me to pay you half a million, but it's not worth enough to be the collateral on the loan? Mm-hmm. Right? And yeah. So it doesn't make sense. And sellers don't want to do this, but the reality is that Nobody sells a good business to cash out. People sell a business usually because something personal is happening in their life and they need to sell. Um, Burnout, fatigue, boredom, illness, poor health, divorce, need to relocate, or retirement. Mm -hmm. The only only one of those things that people plan for is retirement, right? Mm -hmm. So, So you can use debt to finance the acquisition of a business without putting your, your neck on the line if the mm-hmm. deal is structured properly. Mm-hmm. Now, there is another whole envelope here we can explore if you want. And that, that comes to, the, for, to us from, from the Middle East, from the Islamic world, because in Islam, they do not allow interest right, at mm-hmm. all. It's just mm-hmm. it's considered usurious and, and um, it's, you know, it's not accepted within the religious structure. And in some of the the Middle Eastern countries, it's illegal. 
Mm-hmm. So, so then how do people over there buy something like a house? Mm-hmm. Well, what they've done is they've created a way of basically making people partners in deals. So if you want to buy a house over there, instead of borrowing from the bank, which is illegal under their law, Mm -hmm. um, the bank and you buy the house together. And the bank is your partner. Mm -hmm. And over the course of time, you purchase a greater and greater interest in the house Mm -hmm. from the bank. And, And so at the end of the day, the banker ends up with more money than he put out. So his business is successful. And you end mm-hmm. up owning the house without having to have all the money up front. But as you progress through this thing, it's technically not debt. You own it with them. And so you could, if you found the right seller, propose a deal where you buy a small interest in the business. Mm-hmm. And as you operate the business, maybe you get to collect a salary because you're the person running it. Mm-hmm. Not. And then out of the profits that are left at the end, there's a dividend issued to the shareholders. Most of mm-hmm. them would go to him as the seller because he would own more. Mm-hmm. But you, you would take maybe part of your salary and you would take your dividends and every year you would take that money and give it to him in exchange for more shares of the business. Is that, uh, is that considered a staged buyout? It would be uh, a staged buyout, yeah. Okay, yeah, I learned that from one of your other videos. It was really helpful. Yeah, and it, it takes longer to buy the business Mm-hmm. Because the person selling it to you still owns an interest in the business. They're still going to collect part of the profit. Um, mm-hmm. as, as their interest declines, they'll collect a lower and lower amount of profit. But for a lot of small businesses, once you factor in a salary for the person doing the work to run it, mm-hmm. the profit left afterwards, um, you know, it, it may not be a tremendous amount of money. It depends on the business, obviously. I see. Yeah, those are kind of the creative ideas that I'm, I'm thinking. Um, but let's play this out. Let, let's say that, you know, I found a business for $200,000 and I put down um, hopefully 10%. Um, we could talk about what a structure might look like. But let's say I put down 10% and they're willing to do 90% financing. And then, so I guess the business is, I don't know if it's technically still in their name um, I th- or if it would be in mine. I'm not sure how that would work. But then, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, just trying to pay it off. The benefit of me living over here is I don't need a lot of money. The money goes a long way. So I could leave a lot of the money back into the business to both reinvest, but also pay off the remaining balance. So I think I could pay it off a lot quicker than if I was living in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I guess my question would be, let's say, you know, I was a year into it and I've paid the equivalent of like 30%. Would that mean I, um, you know, for my friend's example that I gave, you know, if he were to pay 30% towards his rent to own home and then he couldn't, then he walks away, he loses that. I guess from a business perspective, it's like, am I a 30% owner or am I just totally walking away from, from it? Well, it, it would depend on what the contract said. Okay. And so, so this is all going to have to be spelled out in what form of transaction and when title changes or if it, if the, the ownership of the business changes in, in small gradient amounts, like in, in shares being handed from one person to the other over time. And so mm-hmm. the real challenge though is this, uh, finding a good business that is profitable that you want to run where the seller would be willing to do 90% financing, especially in the space you're talking about. Because yeah, if you're talking about online businesses, Mm-hmm. There are people out there who, you know, up to 200 grand, they're, they're putting a lot of money down. Um, mm-hmm. I, there's another guy who I've interviewed on my YouTube channel who's in Australia, Jared Krause. And, you know, when I talk with him, he tells me that people are buying these things up to 70, 100 grand in cash, yeah. just cash, mm-hmm. which is foolish. But the, the, uh, even the bigger ones, like 200 grand, I've, I've helped a couple people with those deals. Mm-hmm. There is seller financing happening in those deals, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not 90% seller financing. It's, you know, on a quarter million dollar deal, you might be able to get someone to finance 40 or 50%. They, okay. have, they have to believe in you. They have to know that you're capable. And, and maybe you can show them that with your existing, you know, Amazon business. I see. 
Yeah, that was going to be one of my other questions. You know, how do I find these people on the online space? And, you know, um, another realm, another thing I've considered is, you know, what about finding people who have products that aren't featured on Amazon and, and you know, going and proposing to them that I could sell for them? You know, um, I don't know if you have any suggestions on how I might, you know, find people in brick and mortar businesses and, and trying to bring, you know, to an online presence. Well, would that be like people doing, what do they call that? Um, Amazon FBA retail arbitrage. Is that not what it's, you're describing? Uh, perhaps. Um, I don't know if the arbitrage, if that's, um, if the other, if the seller has like a, an interest or if they're just basically act, acting like a factory and they're producing the goods and, um, you know, just buying for them and turning around and selling for more. Um, I guess it would be, that would be arbitrage. I guess I'm more looking at it from a standpoint of, you know, partnering with them, you know, or mm -hmm. in, um, and taking over their online division or something like that. I, I, I think that there's probably an appetite out there from people who don't want to take it on themselves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do you find them? Um, I think it, it could be a couple of things. I think that some, some prospecting of your own, although I'm not sure how I would organize that, mm -hmm. but I think, I think, you know, a web presence where you present yourself as a solution provider for people that want to get their products online in an efficient way with none of their own management or having to invest time. Mm -hmm. Now there, I'll tell you, um, Facebook came to town about two years ago and then they came back recently, but two years ago when they came to town, they rented out a ballroom at a hotel and they invited all these small business owners to come and learn about Facebook advertising. Hmm. And a couple of people I know ended up going mm -hmm. and two of the three that went said the same thing to me afterwards. They said, wow, Facebook advertising really looks great. It's something we really should do. I'll, uh, it's too bad they didn't have people there we could hire to do it for us. Interesting. Right. <laughs> so, so one, one of my friends, he runs a, a painting business. Mm -hmm. All day long, he's, he's running his crews that are in people's homes painting, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and another guy, he was someone who was doing some floor refinishing. They, they have no interest. They, at the end of the day, they want to go home. They're tired. They want to relax. They want to turn on television, have a beer. They are business people, but they're not interested in learning how to place a Facebook ad, right? So, yeah. so you know, they see the, the benefit of the online. They understand it's something that they should be doing. It could help their business. Mm -hmm. But they would like to give some money to someone to do it for them. And so in, in manufacturing, they're, they're, there would be people in the same kind of boat, you know? Like people who are only interested in selling pallet loads to distributors or retail stores. And maybe you could show them that you have a way to turn online into pallet loads as well, just packaged individually. Yeah. That's a good idea. Hmm. I yeah. know there, there must be people out there teaching how to find new products because that would seem to me like, um, like a, like a growth area. There, there's someone who is an Amazon seller who's in the, the business buyer adventure group coaching program. Mm -hmm. and some of the things that he has shared with me is that the problem is, is once you get a really good product and you're selling it on Amazon, other people can kind of see how well you're doing <laughs> and it, and it invites yep. competition. Is that something you've seen too? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like, um, it's not really a matter of finding the right product. It's a matter of finding the next product and always be looking for the next product, I think. Yeah, you absolutely nailed it. And um, that's what I was alluding to in the beginning. You know, that's sort of the nature of this Amazon business. It's it's a lot of big swings, you know, mm -hmm. and um, sometimes it could be misses. And um, and it's just kind of, uh, it, it's weird. In the beginning, it's it could be volatile. It could be pretty risky, but then, the reason they sell for such good multiples and for all cash deals is because it, it, it does enter in the later stage, it enters into like an autopilot kind of mode and it's pretty nice. But in the beginning it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of um, rocky, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. these are 
large checks and sometimes, you know, you're writing. And so I, yeah, I would be interested in another business and I, I don't know um, if there would be a way in which I could even have like a physical location, like a brick and mortar from a distance. And I know that would require having uh, just an awesome manager or something like that, but that would be something else I would consider. You know, there, I have a few, trustworthy people that I'm sure if I were to ask them, you know, might be able to partner. I don't know. I don't know who else you might have in your, your um, network. You just alluded to another Amazon seller, but you know, is that an option of me, you know, maybe purchasing some sort of mom and pop situation where they're about to retire. And, you know, if the situation was right, I could, you know, have somebody else sort of uh, plug and play. Um, So, so running a small business is is usually something the owner wants to be in the middle of. Mm-hmm. If you want to own it and not be there, it requires a different kind of set of skills. So mm-hmm. let's let's look at businesses. Let's examine a business that doesn't have an owner present. So my favorite is Circle K. You ever seen a Circle K store? Yeah, yeah. There's like twelve thousand of them around the world. It's a big multi-billion-dollar international corporation that runs convenience stores right? Mm -hmm. And how are they able to pull this off? Well, they've set up a system where um, every store has a manager, but Mm -hmm. then there's like a regional manager, right? Who's looking at the performance and results of the individual store managers. And Mm -hmm. so to, to run a business successfully from afar, it's not the manager skills you need. It's that regional manager skills you need. Okay. And so what will happen sometimes is sometimes people will, they'll own a business for a long time. Um, Let's say like an auto repair business, for example, and -hmm. they'll run it for 30 years and then they'll decide that they want to kind of semi-retire and they want to spend half the year in Florida or something. And so Mm -hmm. what they do is they, they take someone on their team and they, they train them to become the manager. Mm -hmm. And because they already know the business inside and out, when they go to Florida, they can interpret things that are going on because they're intimately familiar with the business, even though they may not have properly set up the kinds of measurements, we call them key performance indicators Mm -hmm. that the circle K regional manager has. Okay. And so sometimes what will happen is that that auto repair business owner, because he's running it from afar half the year, he now believes that anyone can run it as an absentee owner. Uh, I see. And And it's not true. Mm-hmm. The reason he's able to do it is because he understands what's going on in there because he used to be there. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so he's able to run it because of familiarity and experience. And he himself may not have fully developed the managed from away skills. What, what I often find when I meet these people is they've got those digital video cameras throughout the business and they spend half their day in Florida on the computer screen, watching people work <laughs> as, as nice. though they were there. I see. Right. So they're, they're actually managing the business from afar the way they would be doing it if they were there. I right. see. And, and that's, that's not what you want. No. <laughs> right. And so you would have to know how to, how to set up key reports in that business. Now I did have a buyer at one time who I sold four different businesses to, hmm. and he was a former VP of a big energy company. Mm-hmm. And, when in his vice president role, he had oversight over several different departments. And so this is a kind of skill that he had. It's how he was able to do his vice president role. So he had his managers all had different formats of reports that he had created. And every week they submitted this data to him. So he could quickly take that one page and all the key measures that showed what was going on in those departments would be summarized on that report. So he could see if they were starting to fall behind or if they were making headway, if they were going to hit their targets, that kind of thing. And when he bought those businesses, he did exactly the same thing. He had a manager in place and he learned the business enough to create a new kind of report so that he would be able to see what was going on in the business at a glance. I see. And that's the, that's the kind of thing you have to evolve into and, or develop. And maybe there's something in your own work history that would give you insight into a certain type of business that you would be able to do this more quickly with. I don't know. 
Um, I, I have a construction background, so I'm pretty familiar with the services. And then, um, yeah, just my online business. Those are the two things I would say I have a relative, you know, competency in. So I don't know, talking with you, and, and I know that the online space has, you know, higher multiples and it's not rare for all cash buying. I mean, um, here's a little transparency. I think my liquid assets right now is probably around $50,000, you know, and I'd be comfortable using probably close to half of that for like a purchase and leaving half for, you know, security and just also needing to plug more cash into the business as it's needed. So maybe I just need to maybe start smaller and maybe look at a business for sale. That's like $50,000 and, you know, um, if what you said is true and maybe um, I could try and get, you know, a 50% down and 50% finest and, and start with like a small business. And then once I own it outright, maybe I could sell that. And now I have a larger chunk to where I could buy a medium sized business or, or something like that and kind of climb up to where I would like to be. Um, mm. What do so, you think about that? Well, you know, you, you've said twice now that Amazon FBA businesses sell for high multiples. Mm-hmm. And what that tells me mm-hmm. is that there really is a lot of competition amongst buyers who don't quite know what they're doing. And, and here's why I say this. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, you're talking about a business with one customer. Mm-hmm. Even though many different people buy the product, yep. it's all sold through Amazon. Yep, you're, you're right. So if you, if, if in the real world, if we had a business with one customer, it would sell at a drastic discount because if you lost the customer or in the Mm -hmm. case of Amazon, if they change something and all of a sudden you stop selling, Mm -hmm. right? That that's risky. It is. So so I would then wonder, you know, maybe you should sell yours. Number one. Okay. Right. If it's going for really high prices, maybe now's the time to sell. But, you know, when I think about construction and I think about online, mm-hmm. I, I start to think about something like, I wonder if anyone's doing a really good job selling things like dog houses online. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there could be something that you could become the marketer of that you could oh. subcontract the construction of and then coordinate the delivery of. Interesting. Right? Uh-huh. And, and maybe there are people out there doing it, probably, who knows? Or, or maybe it's kits to build certain things that people can mm-hmm. assemble once it arrives at the location mm-hmm. or something like that. There, there definitely are a lot of people building things out there. A lot of people are in the construction trade. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those people are, they're, they're technicians. You ever read the book E-Myth by Michael Gerber? No. So in that book, he says that 90% of business owners are in fact not entrepreneurs. They're actually technicians that get driven for one reason or another to want to own their own business. So it's, it's the auto mechanic who opens a, a repair shop because he doesn't want to work for other people. Mm-hmm. And he's, it's not because he's identified an opportunity in the marketplace to serve an underserved market. It's because he knows how to fix cars. Interesting. Right. And so a lot of people who would know carpentry skills, for example, they're working as carpenters. They're not necessarily thinking about how they can use their skills to create a product and then build a marketing system to sell it online. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. But, but you have developed those skills. And well, I think what we're, I mean, we're talking about starting a business here, which is not normally what I advise people to do. It's, it's funny though, because yesterday I was talking to a guy, uh, a Canadian in Mexico, almost same kind of situation you're in, where because of the money that you have in the bank, mm-hmm. you have you know, a runway, you have a long period of time, you, you could consider trying to do something like this. Uh, do something like what specifically? Like like creating a business where you're marketing something and taking care of selling it that, that you subcontract the construction of. I see. But because of your construction knowledge, 
you would be able to understand like if the margins were right or if you were, you know, paying a fair price to your sub, all that kind of stuff. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. Because if, if I was just looking, if I was going to do it and I was just looking for someone who could build something for me that I could sell online, I, you know, they would tell me a price and I would try to mark it up and maybe that markup would be way too high and no one would ever buy them because they were too expensive. Right. Mm-hmm. you could do a better job of managing the, the manufacturing part of it. Got you. Yeah, that makes right. sense. <clears throat> um, yeah, I wanted to sort of um, explain the multiples for Amazon businesses being sold and, and tell me if, it, if they're on par or if they're too high or, you know, because I'm assuming they're high. The fact that they're selling for all, for all cash makes me think that, uh, I think I've been told that they're high, but they're usually they're and they're all based on like a monthly mm-hmm. um, projection, right? Not like annual, which is kind of interesting, but they usually go like, what do they say? Like, um, like, Oh, I think it's like a 33% um, or something like that, where it's, you know, it's like, uh, so I'm trying to remember like what a typical, yeah, I think it's like a 33% based off of like a month. You know, so like if you make, you know, like a typical, like if a business is making about $4,000 net profit, it'll sell for a little over 100000 uh, Does that seem, how does that compare to like a brick and mortar? So, so what I have been told and mm-hmm. is that, well, the first time I talked about these businesses, I uh, was told that they were selling for like 25 to 30 times the monthly profit. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, 30 to 33. Yeah. Now they're going for 36 to 40 times. Wow. Okay. And, and so, because what is happening is people are getting drawn into this idea and the notion is, Oh, if I buy one of these things, I make money when I sleep. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is, this is the dream. Everyone wants, everyone wants to earn money without doing something. Right. Mm -hmm. And so at 40 times, all you do is divide by 12 what you end up with is three years and four months. That's three and a third. So 3.33 multiple, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the overall average for all small businesses is 2.3 times discretionary cash flow on an annual basis. Okay. So it shows that these online businesses are selling for, you know, like a 50% higher number. Interesting. Right? Yeah. And it, and I believe it's driven by this idea that um, you can buy it and you're just going to make money, but also because we're talking about businesses that pe- that have an asking price of like fifty grand, mm-hmm. right? So the the lower the 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 lower the down payment or the or the price, the wider the market is going to be. Yeah. When I would talk with business owners, if they owned a business and they owned the building one of the first things I would recommend to them is let's look at selling this business and you keep the building as the landlord. And a lot of them would resist that. They would say, Oh, I know I want to sell it all. And, I'll, and I would say, here's, here's what's going to happen. If you try to sell it all together, you need someone who's going to be able to make a down payment on the business and the building. Mm-hmm. So in one example, it could have been that, you know, that means we need a buyer with 250 grand cash that he can invest. But if we split them, if we split them, then we're going to sell the business by itself. Maybe now we only need a buyer with uh, 75 grand cash. Mm-hmm. There are a lot more people out there with 75 grand than there are with 250. Yeah. And so by, by creating a, a larger audience of potential buyers, we can sell the business more quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so if the whole purchase price of the business is only 50 grand, even if it only makes three or four grand a month, mm-hmm there's a lot of people out there that can put that kind of money together. Yeah. They may still be financing it. They may just be financing it personally by drawing on a line of credit or something. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Can you explain a little bit about um, your network? Like what kind of people are in it? Is it something where you encourage them to collaborate together or you, you think, Oh yeah, this person might be good. You know, I should introduce you to this person or how, how does that work? Oh, the, 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 the buyer's coaching program. 
Um, so the way that it works is everybody is in there and there's people from all over uh, as far away as Singapore that are in the group. Uh, mostly it's Americans. Um, okay. And so each person has their own goal and target industry and uh, oftentimes geography um, mm-hmm. that they're looking to buy a business. And where, where the, um, the advantage of being together comes in is that each person is at a different stage in their journey. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we have the group meetings, people say, this is what's going on. This is what I'm doing. And so I, I coach that person and give them some insights and everybody else gets to learn. I see. Okay. And so, and so all the meetings are recorded so that even new people who join, if they want to, they can go back and listen to the old, old recordings and it allows mm-hmm. them to learn from what other people have gone through. And so I see. it's because the, the big problem that I saw in the marketplace is that we hear all the time about deals that are done, but nobody ever gets to find out how they got done or listen in to the different steps. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the, there's some guy at the golf course today saying, I sold my business for a million dollars. Nobody ever turns around and says, Oh yeah, how much did you get on closing? And do you have to carry back any paper on that deal? Like Mm -hmm. nobody Mm -hmm. asks that. Yeah. But, but that's an important, important thing to understand to get your head around how the deals are actually done or, Mm -hmm. or the guy who says I sold it for a million dollars, but the only reason the buyer agreed to that price is because I, I said I would finance it over 10 years at 0%. I right? see. Like there's all kinds of things that happen. And in the group, people will literally go back and forth in negotiation and share with us what's happening. Sellers that say they would never agree to seller financing, all of a sudden countering an offer where they agree to finance half the business. Like, hmm. And, and f- when people see it happen, that's when their eyes really open up. They're like, yeah, you can do these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I realized that, you know, I think I need a network, um, not even just coaching, but just people that might be interested in opportunities, you know, and it's just a way of learning, but also, yeah, of, of potential, potentially doing deals with people, you know, cause people are at different mm-hmm. stages and there's always people looking to buy and sell. And, um, uh, you know, I'm in a situation where I need to be creative, you know, I'm not in the U S and, and I have, you know, some limitations. And, and so, yeah, I, I realize I need to be sort of connected with other people that are um, also interested in, you know, creative investments, if you will. And well, so, you know, the, yeah. the opposite of debt financing, anything is equity financing mm-hmm. and equity financing is when you bring a group of partners together and people put in money to make an investment and that's the money that's used. Mm-hmm. And so if you built a group of people that became your partners mm-hmm. and then you found something to buy and you, you bought it cash and then you all shared in, in the profits, maybe you took a salary for being the operator. Mm-hmm. That would be a way to buy a business without taking on any debt in the world of small businesses. Yeah. These networks though are not built by trying to advertise or solicit people to, to gather around you. Yeah. They're always extensions of you and your personal network. I see. Yeah. People, people don't, you know, it, if somebody decided to put five grand into your next acquisition, it isn't because necessarily they think that it's going to be the best deal. It's because they believe in you mm-hmm. and they know they trust you that you're going to be a good manager of that money. And so demonstrating your experience, the things that you've done, how you've executed your current business properly, um, you know, the, the work that you do in Central America with the missionary work and stuff certainly speaks to your character, right? Mm-hmm. And so what I would do is I would examine my own personal network and go looking for people that may have an interest in this who are connected to you in some way. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if you were in uh, Canada or the U S I would, I would advise you to look up the rules around soliciting investment. You know, every state and province has a securities commission of some kind where there are rules about how you're supposed to organize soliciting investors. Um, if down in central America and you're doing it all online and you're reaching out to people virtually, I don't know really if there's any kind of framework you need to follow. But you'd certainly want to have a transparent process that everyone felt that they knew what was happening and that they knew yeah. what was going on. 
Um, and that they understood that this is an investment in a small business and small businesses are risky. And if things don't go well, that, that they could lose their money along with yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot to think about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I don't really know where to go from here, but I think that's a good thing though. Cause I'm, uh, in some ways, I, I kind of have um, a good thing going mm-hmm. because I started this small business uh, with not a lot of money and through a lot of hard work, you know, I try to create a unique product that is really, it was difficult to replicate. So that to sort of ward off a lot of the, the cheaters on, you know, on Amazon, they're trying to just copy everybody. And, um, and so, you know, maybe I, I, just, I you know, I can, keep continuing with that. It's just not as secure, right? Is, is buying an already existing established business with a proven record. Um, yeah. But, but the payoff, the ROI, you know, on, on my model is, it is, uh, you know, it is pretty nice. It, the risk is there, but the reward is also there. So I guess I'm looking to diversify. It'd be nice to have a business that was not so risky, you know, in some ways. So is there um, is there any way you can take advantage of your location? Maybe there's a product somewhere near you that you could that you could you know bring to Amazon. Yes, there is one I'm going to uh, attempt. It's an awesome product, and I'm really uh, excited about it. Um, you know, this is kind of my my weakness in a lot of ways. It's um, you know, I, I, like I said, I came from a construction background, and I could totally relate to what you're saying about how you're you do your work, you, you go home and you're tired and, and uh, you don't really open up your eyes a lot of times to the business world. You just, you do your job and you're a technician. And so my eyes have been open to just like, okay, a lot of savvy business people, like you said, it's, it's just, they have connections and not that they're trying to manipulate people just by the course of living their normal lives and, and meeting people they know about good opportunities and so that's, that's what I'm trying to develop. I'm trying to learn about, mm. you know, um, people that have uh, different products, people that might, might be interested in, in um, venturing together, you know. And, and, uh, and it, so it, I realized that's what I need to develop, basically. Well, 100%. Like, you, you, you need to develop a network of, of business-minded people who become your friends. Mm-hmm. And so... I've often said that the the big place to do this is with service clubs. You know, every every little town and every big city has got a Rotary, Kiwanis, Knights of Columbus, like, you know, there are many of them, right? These Mm -hmm. different service clubs. And and the goal of the club is to do some kind of community service. But Mm -hmm. who's in the club, right? You got doctors, lawyers, you know, dentists, insurance agents, small business owners, they're either business owners or they're people who serve business owners. They're, the whole group is connected to the hilt, right? And, and, you know, there's a video on my YouTube channel about, it's called Mini Storage Mess, mm-hmm. where I saw an opportunity to build one of those mini storage buildings. Yep. And I didn't want to go into debt either. Mm-hmm. Okay, same, same position. And so I mm-hmm. said, I need to find people to invest in this with me I managed to put together, um, it was fewer than 10 people. I think it was eight people. Mm-hmm. And across all of us, we raised like 80 some thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, but half of those people were from the Kiwanis Club. Interesting. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and they were people that had known me over the course of time. We all built a playground together, you know, for a local charitable organization. We all replaced the shingles on a children's camp roof we got to know each other when we were doing these kinds of things and mm-hmm. got to know, you know, that we could trust and learn from each other. And when the opportunity came up, I presented it to them and people were like, yeah, this is a good deal. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. And the deal didn't work out. It failed. So go watch the video. It's a good story. I did. And I, I remember it, it stands out because I remember you guys still helped the contractor out a little bit who bought all that material. Yeah. He wasn't, uh, you know, nobody was able to foresee it, but, so he wasn't able to build, but you guys still kind of helped him out a little bit for the time he, he put in, but you, you kind of felt bad that, you know, he had all this material on his hands. And, but I thought, I remember it because I thought it was a good character of you guys to be like, Hey, well, we want to give you a little bit of money to recognize the, the time that you did put in, but uh, you know, hopefully you'll be able to use this material, you know, in the future. 
Well, yeah, I mean, because he had put out wages for the people that had surveyed the site and done measurements and did prepared the site plan. Like, he had real costs, right? Mm-hmm. And and we were all business people. We recognized that, and the deal didn't work out. But we didn't necessarily think that he should have, you know, borne that cost. Yeah, he, he's probably had to do it in <laughs> other cases, but mm-hmm. not from us. Got you. <laughs> right on. Well, I think we're about 10 minutes short, but I think that's all I have on my end. And uh, I've learned a lot. I think I need to pray through some things and, you know, just, yeah, I want to sort of get connected um, some good circles with people that, you know, are interested in investing. Um, So it's funny, like from my perspective, it's like, I feel like, (laughs) I feel like uh, it's kind of sound funny to say, but, you know, I feel like I'm, wealthy in some regards not i know i'm not but i feel like i'm sitting on this this money and i want to put it to work and i don't really know i want to know the best way to do it because um and that's i know that's from what i've read you know that's what investors do you know they don't just keep it all in the bank all the time they're they're looking to have their money make money for them and i want to do that just on a small scale if i put it that way so um yeah i want to be have my eyes open to those opportunities i guess so yeah no. Well, you know, the, the other thing that money in the bank does is um, it does you buy you something. It, mm-hmm. it buys, it buys peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Right. And so yeah. don't be too eager to, to invest in something. It has to be the right deal. The, you know, Warren, Warren Buffett has a quote out there and I can't remember it exactly, but he said, he said, basically he says one of the most important things in, in building wealth is just not to make mistakes which (laughs) it's a no brainer, but, but, you know, I've seen many people, especially, you know, business buyers get caught up in what, what has been termed buyer fever, where Mm -hmm. they get so excited about the prospect of being the owner of the business that they leap into something without, you know, doing everything they really should to make sure the deal is good. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. (laughs) Yeah. Well said. Awesome, Shane. Cool. Enjoy the sunshine. It's really cold here. Uh, it's it's wonderful down here. You're welcome to visit anytime. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Have a great evening and thanks for calling in. Thank you, David. And Merry Christmas. And yeah, thanks again for all your help. Yeah, it, was, it gave me a lot to, to think about. So I appreciate it. Yep. Merry Christmas to you too. Have a good day. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.